Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me, as always, for this season opening podcast. Well, it's not the season opening podcast, it's the second one. But if you ignore that slight piece of logical fallacy for our season opening race podcast, it's my co-host, Sean Gray. Hello. How are we doing? We're doing good. <clears throat> are we ready? Is everyone sitting comfortable? Today's podcast is about the race in Australia. But only, uh, but not only about one Mac Honda failure. Alonso's radio was crude and so terribly rude that the details I can't possibly tell you. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So we are here <laughs> taking a look at the season opener at Albert Park in Melbourne um, with the Australian Grand Prix. Formula One 2017 is go, go, go. And it's back. Well... Where where do we even start with this one? I, I guess we should go over qualifying briefly, um, as it it kind of had a few knock on effects for the for the race, at least in terms of the the sort of Red Bull and stuff, and seeing the relative pace of the cars for the first time. Um, Lewis, would you would you say edging it really? He was what, what about two two or three tenths from Seb in the end. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair comment. He was definitely the. The quickest um, on the sort of low fuel runs, the one lap stuff, uh, all through qualifying, and if you go go back to the practice sessions as well, it looked as if Lewis had just that little bit extra. Uh, it didn't it didn't necessarily look as if the Merc was, you know, a, a cut above because Bottas was around similar to to the Ferraris, but it looked as if Lewis personally had found. Mm-hmm. An extra couple of tenths out of his own, his own through his own skill, that uh, that secured that pole position more than anything. I would say. I think Lewis was uh, on the on the low fuel loads and had that Mercedes just just absolutely dialed in uh, for quality and 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 was 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 rightly on on pole. Uh, was the best man on the Saturday for sure, and and I had. I had uh, t- deep worries after after Friday and Saturday that we were going to be treated to a to a Lewis drives off into the sunset come the Sunday. To be honest, I was very concerned by that. Yes, the uh, the general social media feeling was, oh no, here we go again. That um, was certainly my first impression, but not necessarily after qualifying because the Ferrari did start to come into its own. But certainly after the FP one. Uh, where Lewis was uh, five tenths, uh, FP1 and FP2, I think he was five tenths ahead of everybody else. And I thought, oh no. I, did, I, I sent a tweet out that was like, oh, here, ominous, ominous signs. He's turned up on day one and is mighty. That is ominous. But Ferrari um, showed improved performance on the Saturday. They, improved, they showed a clear improvement from the FP1 and 2 into FP3 and qualifying. And then obviously further improvement in the race. So it, it showed that they were progressing over the weekend, which is what you want to see. And, and um, yeah, when they had the race trim, uh, it, it was it was obviously a, a significantly sort of better package than they had uh, in qualifying. 
Uh, the rebels were, you know, strangely off the pace. Although we all strangely, know that. Or just does that well, respond to that? You know. I, I mean, I, I was going to kind of say that, that that they probably really were where we expected them to be. But um, Albert Park's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's not really a, a speed circuit. So you, you, I had a feel, I had, I thought they might be a little bit closer uh, than when it, you know, how it turned out. You know, with young Verstappen being, you know, uh, over a second behind um, Hamilton's time, I didn't expect to see that big a gap. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's fair, probably. Yeah, um, and obviously we didn't get to see what Daniel Ricciardo might have done, um, but you judge that they're those, both those drivers are, are pretty quick, so one is probably not going to go significantly faster than the other one at, the, at this stage of the uh, of the season. Yeah, yeah, they're even, I would say they're fairly evenly matched. You know, if any of the teams on the on the grid, they, you could make a case for them being teammates that are the most evenly matched. So what Verstappen did, you would assume. Ricardo would be within a tenth or two at the absolute most. So, uh, yeah, I think you say, you know, off the pace, and, and Max has said it himself. He hinted it before the weekend, and he said it since the weekend. That's just kind of where they're at just now for the Red Bull, and that's kind of where I felt, having seen the preseason tests, that's where they would be. And I've been kind of proven right there. bit disappointed because I want to see them. I would love to see them get right stuck in about, so we've got a three-way fight at the top. But... You know, given that we've been, you know, treated to to only the Mercedes at the top over the last uh, three seasons, I'll I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take at least having two teams there at the moment, and we can hopefully the Red Bull can develop in time. Uh, but yeah, it seems that's just just where they're at, unfortunately. Probably star of qualifying was Roman Grosjean in the Haas, um, up in sixth place, and only um, you know any sort of sixth tenths off of. Um, the Red Bull's pace. Uh, good Definitely, things yeah. seem to be in the offing for the team, at least in quality pace. Um, race slightly different. Um, then Massa and the Williams, and then the two Toro Rossos, uh, both into uh, yeah. top 10 qualifying. <clears throat> a sign that perhaps they'd had a decent enough car all last season, uh, hampered by having to uh, take last year's um, engine. And this year they've got the updated Renault, the same as Red Bull, and suddenly seem to have found quite a large amount of pace. Um, and two teammates within, well, within a, uh, well, you know, less than a tenth of each other, you know, half, yeah, a, tenth, half, really. half a tenth, yeah, yeah, good pace from the Toro. So they're a funny one. I mentioned it last uh, on the on the season preview. There'll be some tracks where they look, you know, as good as as good as the senior Red Bull team, and then there'll be other tracks where they're. They're fifteenth and sixteenth, and and I, I, don't, I don't know whether that's the way they just design the cars. That some tracks suit and some tracks don't, but it, they're they're a funny one. They seem to blow hot and cold throughout a season, and this this week certainly in quality, it was definitely a hot one for them. Uh, I think the story of the rest of of, of quality really was that um, it was a tale of who has Formula One experience and who doesn't. Yeah, and it really rounded up being Perez Hulkenberg. And Alonso being the the next sort of lot down, followed unless you you know kind of slide Mark Ericsson to to one side um, <laughs> of all the new boys with Ocon, Giovinazzi, Magnussen, Van Dorn, Stroll, and Palmer, um, all, all sort of coming in after them. Um, yep. Although you'd have to say the last four had very limited track time after 
having shunts here, there, and kind of everywhere. Um, it is interesting if you look at if you look at um, McLaren, Van Dorm, Alonso's out qualified, Van Dorm, Williams, Massa's out qualified, Stroll, uh, Renault, Hulkenberg's out qualified, Palmer. So yeah, and even at Sauber, you know, Ericsson. No, did he? No, did he qualify Giovinazzi? I think he did, didn't he? he? Just though, that was the, that was almost so, the story of the qualifying, really. But, and Perez, Perez, Ocon at Force India. So there's five teams there. Every every team, the most experienced driver, uh, you know, got the upper hand. And yeah, obviously they all had their own. They had their own problems, like you say, with the shunts and stuff. But it just as an interesting little one to point out that with these changes in regulations, the experienced guys have kind of. Looks look look as if they've you know nailed it that just that fraction a little bit quicker than the, the less experienced guys. Uh, Stroll and Palmer both required uh, gearboxes um, after their 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 various shunts, um, so that didn't help help their cause. Um, On to the race then. I. <laughs> It wouldn't be the last lap podcast if we didn't say, on one hand, I'm very happy, and then on the other, point out <laughs> something highly miserable that really, really was really upsetting. What do you want to start with then? Do you want let's to start, start with the, start with the good thing, the most positive thing um, that Sebastian Vettel became the last driver since Sebastian Vettel to lead the championship in a non Mercedes car? Yay! Um, <laughs> I'm pleased. Really, a I'm really happy. solid drive, I think, from him. Um, and I think it's very interesting to see. Um, I think the interesting thing is to say, didn't Lewis skip a lot of the tyre testing because he was, uh, quote unquote, ill? Uh, uh, I don't recall. I'm not sure. He at least missed one of the days. Uh, and I think the driver who clocked up the most miles on the new Pirellis was your... Uh, race winner I believe um, and that's in a way kind of what it came down to was was belief in the tyres and that um, it, it seemed that Hamilton was in the, the undercut mode from last season that as soon as the tyres start to go off I want to get off of them and onto something else uh, whereas it seemed that Vettel was more than happy to, you know, sort of skate on those for several laps longer, not even feeling the need to uh, sort of jump in the pit lane and uh, react to what Mercedes were doing in the hope, you know, they they had trust that the tyres would remain good enough to put in decent laps um, whilst what was going on uh, and waiting to see sort of how it all played out. And I I don't know about you, Sean, I, I had worries of last uh last season where they they kind of called it wrong came in at the wrong time oh, and ended, yeah and ended up having back to mercedes and the longer he went out the more it was difficult to say oh well you know hamilton's going through traffic but he's going pretty fast i don't know whether they knew whether coming up against um verstappen was going to be the roadblock it was if they did, then it's a, it's the probably the most genius strategy call you've ever seen to look up the road and go, okay, he'll be slow going around this stuff, but get around it and be able to put in some quick time in the free air. But as soon as he comes back up behind the Red Bull, that's not going to be anywhere near as easy because he's, you know, 
you know, he's a compound slower, even if they're newer. And we know that the tires last longer. Um, if it was just an educated, ah, he's gone in. Well, let's stay out for as long as we can and see what we can do with that. And then they saw that he was getting caught up by Verstappen and went, gap's just big enough. If we if we push hard now, yeah, got it done. Got out almost in either way. If it's a reaction call, then that's would... re- that's really gutsy. If it was a complete strategy call, it was sheer sublime genius. I think I would lean towards it being a. Uh, the, the the first point that you said there, so like I think uh, yeah, they just yeah, all went, uh, yeah, let's I see think so. Let's roll the dice and so see. I, th- I, th- I think they were always going to stay out. I think they were always going to say, if Lewis comes in, we'll stay out because Vettel's he was happy on the tires. I think they were always going to go. We're going to stay out for a bit and see how it goes. And then when they seen he come out behind Max, I think they kind of looked up and went, "Oh, hold on a second here. He's this is actually working out nicely for us." And then it was kind of okay, go 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 now. Like I, I think I, I think it was. Uh, Maybe maybe almost a combination of two. I think they always intended on staying out longer, and the fact that Lewis got caught up by Max maybe escalated it to the point where they went, "Okay, we we can do this. We can re- we've really got this here. Push now, and we've got it." So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 people people will complain that the race was won in the pits. That doesn't bother me. As anybody who knows knows me. I like strategy. Formula One strategies is something that, that fascinates me. And I don't have any problems with it, it being decided on strategy because I love watching a race and being able to try and decipher who's got the best strategy and, and thinking of the best strategies along in real time, the same, at the same time the engineers will be doing it on the pit wall and things like that. That, 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 that interests me. So it doesn't bother me in the slightest that... Um, that the race was was decided on strategy. Obviously, we need to. There's the overtaking issue, which which we'll we'll, we'll discuss. That is that is a sep- I think that's a slightly separate issue related, but uh, but also not. You know, I, but I'm just a wee bit surprised that Ferrari got it got it so right. Having last season, as you alluded to, they made not once but a couple of times questionable calls. And it was pleasing to see that they got that right, which is why I would hesitate to suggest it was it was pure thought out planned genius. I think it was more of a calling it on the fly and realizing halfway through this was working out and jumping on it when it when it came up came across them. I think it was possibly more Mercedes's error putting Lewis behind Max than and, and Ferrari capitalized on that as opposed to Ferrari completely outwitting them. But they got it done by hook or by crook, so that's all that matters at the end of the day. This is true. Um, what did you next... think of... Sorry, just... Yeah, go for it. What did you think of um, of Lewis coming out behind Max and then the engineers saying, you need to pass this guy, it's race critical, and Lewis being already day one, season first race of the season, no, I can't can't pass him but no chance you know yeah it's we've been hearing that from him for the last couple of seasons do you know what i mean it's um it's a regular sort of rallying call that you hear him say no it's impossible it's impossible and it's really difficult to say because i'm not driving a formula one car i don't know how possible it would have been to have passed max on track I have to assume that Lewis Hamilton is pretty talented <laughs> behind the wheel of a Formula One car. Um, so if he says it can't, then 
he can't. But he says it in such a kind of almost immediate defeatist way that it does make you question it a little bit and just go, is it really impossible or is it that it's really, really difficult? And then as soon as it's really, really difficult, you don't fancy it, maybe? And that sounds really harsh because then I'm like questioning his commitment to Formula One and like, you know, he's a... He's a three-time world champion. I don't think you can kind of uh, question his ability to drive a car. But um, it doesn't sound great on the radio, I think, as a listener. I think if I was a Mercedes fan and I kept on hearing that, if I was a Mercedes fan who wasn't a you know a massive Lewis fan, I think I'd be really disappointed to hear such a good driver driving my team's car. Being I'm not- quite so defeated. And, it, and it's a bit different between that and like Alonso complaining about the car because you know that the car he's driving has <laughs> is a dog. You know, it's got real inherent problems. You know, there is a real reason why he says, I can't do this. You feel What's only me... You feel only pain and sorrow when Fernando speaks on the radio with Lewis. It does come across a bit more like petulance. It's interesting you said Mercedes fans who might not necessarily be a Lewis fan. I'm I'm not sure they exist. Uh well, I think I think Lewis Hamilton has his fans, and they'll support Mercedes while Lewis is there. And when Lewis leaves, they'll follow Lewis wherever he goes. And it's not like Mercedes or Ferrari or McLaren, who have a long sort of history of Formula One and, and loyal support. I'm, I'm not sure there's that many people who would say, "Oh, I'm a Mercedes fan," but if Lewis leaves, then I don't care. We'll get somebody else. And, I'll, and Mercedes are my team more than the drivers. I, I don't. I don't really feel that there's any of those types of people out there. I think people support Lewis because, and he support Mercedes because Lewis is in it. And if he moved on, they would move on. And and I and I, I set myself up there for someone to come at me and say, "Oh, I'm a Mercedes fan. I'm not a Lewis fan." But fine, <laughs> let's hear from you. But I just get the like. I'm a Ferrari fan first and foremost. And when Fernando Alonso was there, I was a Fernando Alonso fan, and I wasn't a Sebastian Vettel fan. And then we swapped, and we took in Vettel and swapped for, uh, in place of Alonso. And now I'm the biggest Vettel cheerleader because first and foremost, I'm a Ferrari fan. Whereas Mercedes, it feels like the other way about. You know, they're, they're Hamilton fans. Then he happens to drive a Mercedes. It's very interesting because obviously the um, the inference really is that uh, you know Mercedes have only been back in Formula One for uh, well seven years now, isn't seven it? Seven years. But I liken it to like a Manchester City in football, where it's yes, like someone's come that's... in and put a load of money in, and they're all of a sudden a big boy who haven't previously been there. And it will take. It just takes time to build up the history and the relationship with the fans, and it's not going to happen overnight. And it's I like mean, I, I was just going to say. I think that's that's what I was going to going to say is that I, I wonder if there hasn't been a chance for the new generation of Mercedes fans because obviously the previous um, Mercedes fans, uh, well, they were all Nazis, really, weren't they? Because that's the last <laughs> time Mercedes were. <laughs> <laughs> in and around Formula One doing anything. No, I, I kid, folks. Um, but that, that's the whole point, is that you know, you're talking 50 years, 50 or more years ago, actually much more than 50 years ago. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're talking 70 years ago, the last time Mercedes were relevant in that kind of single-seater formula. Yep. Um, they, oh, they've been an engine manufacturer in that amount of time, but like nobody is... <laughs> like, nobody was uh, nobody's a Cosworth fan are they no watch hey. Formula 1 because it had Cosworth engines Come in it. On. people people <laughs> like Cosworth don't get me wrong but there wasn't somebody who tuned in and said I'm watching this just so I can listen to Cosworth engines go around there Jackie Stewart maybe I don't know um... <laughs> well no he's a Ford guy ironically. <laughs> you got um, 
I was just about to say there might be some McLaren fans who are, who are Mercedes fans, given the Honda engine. They'll uh, be well, to get the, yeah. get Mercedes back in that car. But but no, I mean, I, I think the football analogy is the best one, and it, it won't happen overnight. It's like putting Lewis in the car is a bit like you know a, a new football team with a load of money behind them signing a big a big name striker or whatever. They it's not going to all of a sudden make them that 30, 40 year championship winning pedigree that creates lifelong fans that that Ferrari, McLaren, even sort of, even Red Bull are almost at that stage where there probably is people out there who are Red Bull fans who's first... I think the thing of... Yeah, I was just going to say... I think the good thing about Red Bull, about the reason why it hasn't been that, is they they don't really stick with their drivers. I know Seb was with them for a while, but like four years really well four, four, yeah. five, four or five years do you know what i mean that's yeah. not a, a lifetime for a sort of formula one sort of yeah. driver um and they had other drivers before that and they you know gone on to have other drivers after that and i think they've managed to avoid being somebody's team yeah like the biggest name that they had was obviously david coulthard who blessed dc to you know to his cotton socks is not exactly you know schumacher hamilton um Esque, yeah, no, at that level or, or anything like that. So, I think they've avoided that by not, you know, they they kind of, and they they struggled for a lot longer than Mercedes did before they got the success. Do you know what I mean? There was, True. they True. were a midfield, not great team for a very long time, and I think that allowed some fans to go. Get they understood a little bit. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It got them past the bit where they went, uh, screw the rules. We have money. And came in and won the sport on their first go because they could afford to put five hundred billion dollars into car design. They they stuck with, you know, that midfield team and, and brought it up. And then they bought Toro Rosso as well. And you know, they've they've kind of kept that team. That I think that also helps as well. That Toro Rosso is just this sort of, you know, midfield Minardi team is a bit harsh, but um, but you know what I mean. It's it's I think everybody can quite like Toro Rosso. Yeah. Um, if you're There's annoyed at yeah, if you if you dislike Red Bull for any reason because they won lots of championships or they're beating your team, you can still always quite like Toro Rosso, which kind of helps you know balance things out. Whereas Mercedes are just Mercedes; they're a German team, which I don't think necessarily endears them to um, fans naturally in Europe, particularly because everybody tends to be a bit slightly more partisan about this. So you tend, I mean, Ferrari transcends that just because the Ferrari you know anybody can be a Ferrari fan but you I think you definitely see that people follow their national teams a bit closer with the other ones um somewhat you know British fans tend to be McLaren and Williams fans before they'd be you know uh obviously with the exception of Ferrari fans but I'd be surprised if there were that many British Red Bull fans Mm-hmm. Like anywhere near as much, or British Mercedes fans who aren't Lewis Hamilton fans uh, well, because, yeah. because he's British um that that I think you know is 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 an interesting dynamic in in all of those things. So Mercedes have got a lot of hurdles to overcome um, before I think they'll people will just go, ah oh, yes, that's Mercedes, the Formula One team, as opposed to Mercedes, the team that poured billions into the sport, uh, forced the rules to suit the engine that they wanted to build, um, and paid ridiculous amounts of of money for the Michael Schumachers and Lewis Hamilton's the world. Um, I think if Valtteri Bottas wins in the championship, it will, that will help them a lot. Ironically. I think if they can have a new guy come in and win them the championship, I think a lot of people will be like, Hmm. Okay. Cause 
Nico Rosberg got drowned by the Lewis stuff. You know, two years of losing to him and then the acrimonious last season. Him winning it, I don't think, brought fans to Mercedes. It just made a certain section of fans really like Nico Rosberg. I agree about Valtteri Bottas. Uh, he, he's universally liked, I think, by most of the... Just generally, everybody in the sort of F1 media circle stuff, nobody seems to have a bad word to say against Valtteri. Everybody kind of hopes he does well at Mercedes, with, even though you kind of want Mercedes to not do well this season. You still wouldn't be unhappy if Bottas had a really good season. So, yeah, he would. I agree with you. He would definitely do do good for their sort of fan perception. Bottas turning up and and, and acing it. Uh, something about Finnish drivers as well. You know, you can't help but <laughs> they seem to just <laughs> they invoke invoke a positive fan reaction. You've never had a Finnish driver who wasn't quite popular. You know, if you go back through your Kimmies and your Mikas, they seem to just be quite easy to like. So Bottas and Mercedes is, is a good move by them. Uh, it could be a natural counterbalance to Lewis's sort of... Polarising. Polarising is exactly the word I was going to use there. Yeah, exactly the right word. So, yeah. Um, so what do we make quite, of the... Well, I was just going to say, he did quite well in this race, didn't he, really? in the, Valtteri. He was down... Uh, and seemingly behind, and with Lewis sort of tearing up his tyres a little bit, trying to get past Verstappen, uh, I think that allowed him to catch up kind of significantly during the mid- middle point of the race. Yeah, um, it was very, it was very gap- drive, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the gap was big enough that I think that Lewis, once he'd realised he wasn't making the race, could afford to back off so much to save tyres for the end of the race, so that when he was within that, you know. Uh, two, one to two seconds behind, he could just go right. Few laps now, um, and you know, Bottas never quite made made it past that that golden bit where he could really have a run on him. Um, but it was good to see that in that position, he didn't go. Hmm, you know, I could I could sit here and drive quite carefully, make sure that nothing happens, look after my tires, uh, do all those bits and pieces, and then if I really have to push later on because something happens, you know, I'll be there. He went. Uh, Let's do this now. Let's you know. Let's have a run at, at my teammate. So that 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 gives me hope that this season there might be a better inter-team battle than last season, um, and the, the kind of the seasons before where it all ended up getting a bit um, bit tentative because obviously they, neither side could afford to touch one another. Um, I think if 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 it comes down to scrapping, I think you might see a bit more, a few more elbows coming out. In the in the inter team fight for Mercedes, which would be, I think, a very welcome sight for most F one fans. I think Hamilton ultimately probably had him covered. Mm. Oh yeah, more, more or less straightforwardly. If, if if push came to shove, I think Hamilton would have had him covered. But agreed, Bottas has driven well there for his. You know, to turn up in a brand new team it isn't easy, and to to finish as close to Lewis as what where he has done is, uh, yeah, is, is more than a respectable. Uh, first, first outing for Mercedes, and hopefully, as the season goes on, he'll get more and more comfortable in the car, and and yeah, push Lewis. Uh, it, well, it's interesting. Will he? I, I get the feeling that whoever out qualifies the other there will finish ahead of them, because a bit like last season when we spoke about Nico versus Lewis, often whoever kind of got to the first corner would win because they're so evenly matched and the cars are so evenly matched that whoever got to the first corner just seemed to to be able to 
you know, manage everything throughout the race and stay ahead. I get the feeling it'll be kind of like that again, particularly with the two Mercedes, because they are they are evenly matched and the cars are evenly matched, and it's going to be more difficult to overtake this season than it is last season. I, I feel like with Mercedes more so than Ferrari, whoever has got track position will stay in track position, whereas I get the kind of feeling that Vettel has an edge over Kimi mm, yeah. at Ferrari, whereas with Hamilton and Bottas, whoever's ahead on track will probably stay on track. And, and as in this case, Hamilton had the track position from qualifying, so he was able to comfortably manage that. Whereas uh, I think if Bottas had out-qualified Lewis, it probably would have it would be the same Bottas would end up finishing ahead of Lewis because there's just no there's no you know variable that they're equal more or less you know, they're both equally quick and equal machinery in cars that are difficult to follow and overtake so it's it's hard to see how any change would be made because they're going to follow a similar strategy being in the same team so strategy is the same power is the same. Driving talents, more or less, you know, you could argue, make a case that Lewis is obviously a quicker driver, but when you're talking minute tenths of a second, ultimately whoever's got track position is going to win there. Whereas I feel like in Ferrari, Vettel definitely has an edge. And even in Red Bull, even though they're equally matched, I don't know, I get the feeling we'd have a bit more of a, a chance of seeing one of them pass the other. Maybe that's just because both of their drivers are a bit more insane when it comes to, to overtaking and, and, and going for it. I don't know. I think the other thing with Red Bull is that they're willing to um, they're willing to let people try stuff and then yeah. let the other driver go back in front, which I think yeah. the the trust isn't necessarily there in the other things, whereas they've done it a few times at Red Bull and at, at Toro Rosso and it, it's, it seems that that whole multi-21 situation is not a sticking point for anybody else that um, you know they trust if they give the place, then um, you know, if it if it turns out the other person can't make the most of it, then then they get the position back, um, which is all kind of good. I just feel like if we go to China next week or Bahrain or whatever's coming up, China, whichever um, whichever Mercedes qualifies ahead of the other, that's we'll the one that's going to finish. That's that the one. Yeah, it gets that. You get that impression, don't you? Just yeah. because they're so regimented, particularly with their strategy, they don't. They very rarely split the strategies. Whereas at Ferrari and Red Bull and others, they do seem to go, okay, you go long and I'll go short and we'll see what happens kind of thing. Because they've got so accustomed to chasing the Mercedes, mm-hmm. they've thought, oh, we'll split the strategies and you know, one of them might pay off and we might get close to the Mercedes by taking a chance. Whereas Mercedes have had that domination so they can go, well, we'll, we'll just do our own thing and we know we're going to be ahead. So yeah. they'll, they'll stick regiment into their strategy. And it still kind of feels like they're in that mindset of this is the way we do it. And we're going to do both cars are going to run the optimum strategy and there's not going to be any, anything else. And, and that, and that lends itself to, you know, whoever has track position at turn one has track position at, at the end of the race. We'll see, we'll see going forward. But uh, I think, you know, going back to Bottas, he, he certainly can, can be proud. And, and, and what he needs to do now is, is prove that he can match Lewis in, in qualifying. Because we know, we know he's good in the race, but Lewis is—you could certainly a case to be made—the best one lap low fuel driver on the grid, I think, probably. And in terms of outright speed, he is able to nail it on that one quality lap consistently. 
as much as anybody, uh, if not the most. So, so if Bottas can can start showing something in quality up against Lewis, that's when I think that's when Lewis will have a wee a wee fright on his hands. So Max was the last of the unlapped cars um, in sixth. Williams uh, seemed pretty well in Massa's hands. You know, uh, Lance Stroll didn't um, really cover himself in very much glory. Uh, covered himself in gravel and bits of carbon fibre mostly. Um, but Massa and the Williams seemed pretty consistent all weekend. I I I, I thought was did well. Um, in front of the force India, it would seem, um, which is obviously a bit of a swap around from the end of last season. Does that does that feel like that's going to be genuine for the rest of the season, or well, maybe if, it was just a bit freaky for for Williams this, nah, this race? No, nah, I think that's where I think exactly. If you go back to the previous show, I said that I think Williams will be quite comfortably in that spot this season. I think that's I think that's the I think they they have the fourth best car on the grid, but they also have by some way a car that is that won't challenge the top three teams. I think they'll find themselves in that position fairly regularly. And I predicted last week that they would they would beat Force India's this season and, and I'm quite happy with, with that prediction. I think they will. I think um I don't know the Force India was was okay this weekend. They got um it was a double they got a double points finish. Oka managed to get to the points as well. I just I, I got the feeling that just just from testing, I got the feeling that that Williams looked a little bit quicker, and 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 it's been improving so this weekend. Massa, experienced driver, needs no introduction. Drives, I think that I think what he's given there in sixth place is is probably the true reflection of the car. The absolute where exactly where that car is. Lance Stroll has you know he needs time. He needs time to 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 get experience. Uh, do you feel like it's actually a bit too much time? Um, yeah, possibly. Possibly. He, he's been twitchy all through winter testing, all through the free practices, you know. Yep. No, he spins, I, yeah. spins it regularly. And, uh, you know, the cars are difficult to drive. All the drivers have said that the cars are much more difficult to drive this season than previously, yep. um, despite the massive amounts of grip. Um, and... I, I think that the, because of that amount of grip, you're driving close to the edge, I think, than you were last season, when I think the yeah. drivers probably all drove with, within themselves a little because the tyres, you know, wouldn't give grip forever. You had to look after them and nurse them, so the cars weren't going as fast as they possibly yeah. could through the apex of a corner. How, how often did we complain that drivers weren't going flat out and racing wasn't, you know, proper push, push, push for 100% of the race last season? <laughs> you got season. more overtakes, though, didn't we? <laughs> We did, but <laughs> I, I, well, I'm sure I'm sure we'll you know discuss the overtaking thing. I, I I prefer it this way, personally. I prefer it where they're pushing for a hundred percent on tires that they know that will last, and it's decided with good strategy on the pit wall. I prefer that and what we had in Melbourne to what we had last season, where they were tippy toeing around, and you'd get overtakes through DRS or people who have tires have gone off the cliff. And yeah, there might have been fifty percent more overtakes in a race, but I know as what I want to see, I prefer it. What what so far we have this season, and Melbourne isn't necessarily the easiest track in the world to overtake. So I think we need to, you know, wait and see six, eight, ten races down the line exactly where the cars are at with 
that. But I think it wasn't as difficult to follow a car as people were perhaps predicting. You know, Vettel was able to follow Lewis in the opening stages of the races within within more or less a DRS zone relatively comfortably. You know, he had um, toward like Bottas catching Lewis towards the end, was able to get quite close. Other other battles down the field, I think that it isn't as difficult to follow as as perhaps some of the technical aero experts were predicting. And give it time with the overtaking, it'll come. It was first race. Like, you know, I'm not signaling the death warrant just yet on that front. Um, it's It will come. Melbourne isn't the easiest. Somewhere like China where you've got the long straight and stuff, we will see action there. I'm sure we will. So I'm not too worried. And I'm definitely prefer, like having guys at the end you know, doing fastest laps because the fuel was burning off is the way it should be instead of having them all tiptoeing around or terrified of sending their tires off the cliff because they won't get home. You know, I, I, I know from my personal perspective, I'm happy with where we're at. I think that's, that's uh, you know, that's a fair enough assessment of it. Um, I'm, you know... I'm with you certainly on as much as saying that you can't really judge the season by Albert Park. It's a bit of a bizarre land in terms of um, the way that the track is laid out. Isn't great for overtaking at the best of times. Hasn't been great for overtaking uh, in the sort of new formula of Formula One um, in general. Um, And it relies a little bit more on people... uh, kind of uh, you know taking risks to do it but then that leads my worry is that if the cars get more reliable uh the tires stay on um we will head 17 years into the past to the time where we saw processional racing uh you know cars had all the aero kit on them had you know bigger admittedly grooved tires on them um and people didn't change their tires for the whole race. The only strategy was refueling. Uh, and you saw no on-track action and it was only done in the pits. And whether I think you say, I don't mind that so much, or I don't mind that, you know, at the sharp end, strategy plays a, uh, you know, a, a bigger role uh, in these kind of things. I think if you look at last season and see how the midfield battle was genuinely quite interesting because the cars were quite close and could all kind of at different times overtake one another. If you lose that part of it and it really is a pole pit finish, that's not how you attract people to the sport. Uh, I agree. It's not how you, you get young fans interested in seeing cars drive around the track. I mean, it's, it's, we all know as F1 fans, when you speak to somebody who isn't a Formula 1 fan, they always go, why would you want to watch a car drive around the track yeah, for exactly. uh, an hour and a half? And it's difficult to justify it at the best of times when you say, yeah, but they're loud and they're fast. You know, there's, there's overtaking and crashes and all these sort of things. Well, you know, they don't crash as much because the cars mm-hmm. are much safer. Um, they uh, don't pass as much because they can't. Um, and then you're like, I don't really know. <laughs> you know, I just like it. <laughs> and I want to be able to tell them, you know, 
tune into a race. Tune, tune in and watch this this race. I guarantee that you'll see plenty of on-track action that uh, will be easy for you to identify what's going on. You know, if it all becomes complete strategy, it becomes that little bit more impenetrable to people who uh, aren't used to how strategy works in Formula One. I agree, 100%, 100% I agree. Uh, I just think that... But I'm not basing it on one race. Yeah, yeah, I think that if, if we'll, you know, we'll, six races down the line, seven, eight races down the line, if if we're feeling that, then then fair enough, yeah. I, I do agree. I just think that on this one race, you know, like just I'm playing the everybody just chill out card, like let's see what happens. You know, it's, it's early days yet, you know. Um, not we're not worried yet, yet being the the key word. <laughs> uh, Toro Rosso finished eighth and ninth in the end. Uh, yeah, I think good rather cementing that that's probably about where they might be. Really, generally, give, give or take um, a better performance by maybe the Force Indias, um, and yeah. you, you know maybe the Williams and the other and the uh, Hasses not, you know, finishing the race. Um, I said last week that. You know, any that midfield battle could—they're all probably capable of of beating each other on any given day. And and this day, the Torosas uh, had had a, had an excellent result. But I wouldn't be surprised if now next week or the week after that suddenly Hulkenberg's the one that's that's nicked eighth, or and then following that, it might be Grosjean and the Hash, and it's going to be very close. I think behind probably the Force India. I think the Force India might. Over the course of the season, just be, you know, be that little bit better than the rest of the midfield. But Toro Rosso, Renault, um, Haas, and 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 probably, probably the McLaren if it can get itself, you know, reliable. Then they'll they'll all they'll all score points against each other. They'll all be nibbling away at each other at any given time. So it'll be interesting to see it come the end of the season. Who's managed to come out on top uh, this week? Obviously, hats off to the Torosos. They've done, they've done the best job so far of that of that crew. Uh, both drivers, eighth and ninth, uh, qualified together, finished together. Clearly, you know, it wasn't a isn't a one man flash in the pan result driving the wheels off the car. Both drivers finishing where they were in qualifying, where they were sure that that car that is the pace of the car. Uh, and and it looks brilliant as well as we said last week. Mm. So uh, so happy happy for the Toro Rosso guys. Um, yeah, a good result for them. And happy for Fiat. You know, I was gonna say that uh, I felt that Kvyat seemed like he'd got a bit of his sort of um, you know sort of bright spark back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, around the paddock and stuff, which is really nice to see because he was always a very sort of sort of smiley happy lad, and then. Last he went season. through that dark phase last oh, season. God, when he changed his tweet to handle to handle like biotis, I'm just human. I, the collective heartbreak of the Formula One fandom as they all went, oh no, Danny, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> don't, don't do that. Um, so yeah, it was really good to see him racing, and they they did the the swap strategy. So Kvyat was allowed through on signs to attack Perez, That's and right, that yeah, didn't yeah. work out. They swapped back. So again, there's obviously you know. It's just interesting to see that that pairing seems to be a much better working unit than Sainz Verstappen was. Yeah, um, yeah, because th- there was a few times, wasn't there, where either Max, Max didn't or like Carlos, to play ball, yeah, did he, yeah, occasionally? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
So that, <laughs> I think that's that bodes well for the team that if they've got a good working unit there, they can maximise their point scoring opportunities because yeah. there isn't the ego to say, you know, I won't get out of your way. Um, and there's the trust to say that if I do get out of your way and it don't work out, you will give me my place back. And you know, big season for Carlos as well. You know, it's it probably is his, probably his last at uh, Toroso, so he's going to be looking to put himself in the shop window for you know what's assumably going to be spaces at the likes of Williams when Massa goes, Ferrari if Kimi Raikkonen goes at the end of season, which I think he probably will. Who knows what Alonso is going to do? So there's there's, mm-hmm. there's definitely two or three holes over the next eighteen months appearing in some of the big teams. So big season for Carlos Sainz, and if he can stick that to a Russell in eighth place more often than not throughout the season, it doesn't look like a lot to the casual fan who maybe just reads the result and sees he's finishing eighth, and uh, that's, that's that's fine, a couple of points, whatever. But you know the, the people matter. They they they'll they'll see this guy's consistent and he's good. You know, he can get the job done. He can get the most out of a car at the end of the day. He can he can utilise the tools with which he's been given, which is what Fernando Alonso's built a career on doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's got the absolute most out of whatever he's been given to work with. And he did it again this weekend, by the way. Certainly. <laughs> um, Certainly. Um, and if Carlos appears to be developing that kind of that kind of style of just you give me what I've got and I'll take it to where it can go and nowhere, no, no worse and no further. Just get the absolute most out of the car. That's such an underrated trip, uh, quality to have. And, 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 and people, people at Ferrari and people at McLaren and people at these teams will, will know that we'll see that. And I really, really, I, I, he's slowly but surely becoming my favorite for, for Kimi mm. in the Ferrari. Yeah, I must um, admit, I'm I'm kind of hoping that, you know, I'm. It's a bit sad because I love Danny Rick, and I think if he could be prized away from the Red Bull seat, he'd probably be favourite for for the Ferrari seat. Um, but if he can't be prized away, then I think Carlos is probably got to be your prime prime target. Looking at that, he just seems like he could probably fit in at, at, at Ferrari really easily and do a yep. really good job for them. Um, and, and he'd be ha- he'd probably be happy to play number two to Vettel for at least a season or two, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. I think you know you've you've definitely got that thing where. Um... And then Seb might move on, say in twenty twenty something like that, and then Carlos may have his shot at the championship. Who knows? It's a long time down the line, but yep. there certainly looks to be an obvious progression there. Um, the the guy who I think will have his eyes set on it as well will be Perez at Force India. Whether he can do enough in the Force India to show that he's the man for the job, we'll, we'll, we'll find out this season. But I think certainly Perez, Sainz, I'm not sure Danny Rick will leave the Red Bull. I think Danny will stay in the Red Bull at this Yeah, stage. that's that's my thought at the moment. But if Mercedes, if Ferrari have a good season this season, then it's, you know... It's then he might start thinking, yeah, exactly. Especially if he's getting, you know, if Max is getting... Big boots, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, certainly interesting from a personality standpoint going throughout the season how the dynamics work. But to me, there's a little cluster of guys that will be looking at those seats when when Massa, Raikkonen, and Alonso start to peel off into the into the sunset. And uh, <laughs> and Science is definitely at the top of if not if not the top, he's very near the top of that of that tree. Grosjean's another one that that's, his stock continues to just sort of 
if he can, if that has can get reliable, you know, and 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 semi quick, then Grosjean's another one who will generally finish, you know, get the most out of the car. So he's another one that will be looking at that. But I think he's probably behind Sainz and, and Perez at the moment in the, in the queue. But he's another one I've got a lot of time for. So Ocon scored the point for Force India. Um, what did you make of him? I I can't really that recall seeing of, a lot of them, to be honest. No, that there was the the three way pass, which you know, you might go, oh, that was spectacular, but it was spectacular because two cars passed one car that, um, obviously, quite self admittedly, had a broken front suspension. So <laughs> it's slightly less impressive when you look at it that way. It's a bit like if saying, that, oh, yes, two cars passed this Robin Reliant on the. Uh... <laughs> Is that a anything that just highlights the wonderfulness of Fernando Alonso more than anything? Oh uh, well, yeah, but, that they made him pull out a move like that. like thirty laps, and that and that you know they had to pull out some big move into the first corner just to get him when he was on three wheels on his wagon. <laughs> <laughs> I love Fernando Alonso and the McLaren so much. I'm, I'm, like, there should be, there needs to be a, like, a, I don't know, some sort of side spin-off show of Fernando, for like sketch show of Fernando Alonso just going around in that McLaren saying funny things. Like, I quite uh, like to see like Fernando Alonso drives the worst cars in the world. And yeah, drive that's, a Lada, that's it. A yeah. line and stuff, and just that's it. Slate them. Him, like. I, that's what he needs to do when he retires. Get it, get it made. Get a documentary sees made. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but Ocon, did you feel we learned anything about him, or do you think he got Honestly, in place because he was in the he was in the Force India, which is about their give or take yeah. in the hands of a rookie? Yeah, I think it's probably probably that Perez has probably got the maximum out of the car, finishing seventh, and Ocon as a rookie, isn't quite as good as Perez, but is still driving a fairly ca- capable car and is finished in 10th. So I think that's probably probably about right, you know. The the car's probably quick enough for 8th, maybe, but at the end of the day, he's got Sainz and Fiat ahead of him who are both very good drivers who have driven the wheels off their own cars to get those 8th and 9th. So that 10th uh, is, is a fair result for Ocon, but Something to build on, I think, for sure. But a good enough result on his on it. You gotta be happy with getting a points finish on on your opening, your opening gambit for the team. I think he'll be happy with that. But it's something. It's good, but something to build on, kind of thing. A bit like Bottas in the Mercedes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so does that then make Hulkenberg's eleventh uh, place in the Renault that bit more kind of impressive, really, in that he's. Taking the Renault, which still doesn't seem like it's probably a great car yet. Um, you know, I think that's probably a fair assessment. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be too unfair with them because because Jolion, you know, broke his car early on, didn't get very much track time, and then um, didn't finish the race either from from early on. Um, it's, but it seemed to me that Hulkenberg was consistently a lot faster than. Jolion at the best of times. Um, so are we seeing that Hulkenberg actually has all of the talent that he's not been able to show in the Force India because his Force India was always the unreliable one um, and that he's gone into Renault who are, you know, probably a maybe 14th, 15th place team, maybe something yeah. like that generally. And he's put it right 
on the back of the top 10 points finishes. Yeah. I, I'm not sure he didn't show it in the Force India. I think quite often he got, got a lot out of the Force India. But... Oh, yeah. What I mean is that he was never able to show it consistently. Everybody went, yeah, that, oh, oh, yeah. Perez has got Hulkenberg's number. And I was just like, he hasn't. It's just ah. that... Hulkenberg's car car would yeah. break down no, for think, like three three races in a row, and so he'd lose out all of the points scoring. I don't think there's I don't think there's an awful lot between Checo and and Hulkenberg. No, and, but we've both always said that. But I know yeah. that that isn't the is that I mean I, I, that is not the general sort of you, you opinion read, in this sphere. Yeah. You read opinion pieces a little bit more than than I do. So do do you think that there's a a consensus out there that that Checo had? If you, the Hulk's number or? If, if you looked at a lot of the tweets when they were close on track and stuff, or people started comparing the two, uh, you know, whether that's, you know, goodness knows what the fan base is like. Obviously, Perez is Mexican. That South American driver sort of thing does seem to engender very hardcore fans. Yeah. Um, you know, Brazilian drivers are always follow, followed fanatically, and that's probably the same for most Latin drivers, I would I would guess, um, without trying to be too racist about it. Do you know what I mean? Hot Latin blood and all this sort of rubbish. Um, so whether it's just that if you're a Perez fan, you're probably of that nature, and so you're... Yeah, a bit more vocal defending. about it or something. Yeah. I, I don't know, but I always saw people saying, well, Hulkenberg's rubbish. Perez is, you know, easily better than him. I don't know why they bothered to get rid of Hulkenberg. Or when Hulkenberg left, they said, "Oh, that's, you know, that's no loss in because Perez is so much better." And I was just looking at, it thinking, if you look at the records, they're incredibly similar. It's really yeah. only that Hulkenberg finished about a third less of the races than Perez did because his car got broken down, or he got <laughs> ran, got run off the road for about three races in a in a row last season. Didn't get past the first quarter because somebody had clattered into the back yeah. of him. Well, I agree with you and that they are very similar and there's not a lot between them and um, the only thing that i think would harm hulkenberg's chances of a top drive is the fact that he's gone to the Renault, so he isn't going to necessarily be able to show what he can do this season um i think it depends i think if he can you know if he can outshine jolian by a large margin every single might, yeah, race and, that and get, that, yeah. get that Renault. if he gets it to 11th place like consistently i think people will take notice of that and go okay you know, possibly, yeah. There's there's a guy who's taken a car that you know in, in another capable driver's hands is not getting anywhere, uh, and making it go somewhere. That's a that's a thing to look out for. It's why you know, at the end of the day, you see Fernando Alonso driving around it's, in the yeah, McLaren. It's the Alonso syndrome again, isn't it? And you yeah. go, you take he's notice. The yeah. wheels off of that thing. Yeah. There's no way that car should be where it is. You know. I certainly stood up and took notice of Fernando this weekend. So, yeah, your point is absolutely valid. Going back to Hockenberg finishing 11th, whereas Julian obviously had his issues and didn't finish the race, I definitely think we will see Julian struggle to compete with, with Nico. I do think we will see that. And I like Julian, but I think he just, I think Nico is, is a, a little bit, that little bit greater, better than him, personally. And, and and there's nothing to be you know ashamed of in that it is what it is and I think I think we might we might see that consistently over over the the course of the season so but that's good news for it's good news for Renault isn't it to have them up there do you know what I mean yeah beating you know after last season you know their first season back in and and being so far down the back even if one driver is giving them the opportunity to you know be out there and making the odd pass and, and and getting into decent positions maybe scoring the odd point here and there it's definitely seems to be it's progress isn't it uh, yeah do you know what i mean that they were 
inconsistent last season with both drivers. You know, Magnussen scored those couple of good good points holes at the start of the season and then went off the boil. Jolien seemed to come back into it, but he didn't really make the most of when he was had the car underneath him. You know, it's not like he scored a, a load of other points either. So, you know, if Hulkenberg can get there and regularly pick up a few points for them here and there, you know, maybe sometimes with luck and sometimes with skill, it'll make a big difference to, I think, how that team is generally seen on the he's grid. Pro- he's probably the man for the job, you know, going in hmm. there. He obviously wants to be... He wants. He's going to want the team around him. He's moved from Force India, where he's had he's a pretty sweet gig at Force India, regularly picking up points and and driving well. He's gone into a team that are further down the grid, but with the potential of masses improvement with the resources that they have at their disposal from from Renault from the factory Renault team. So he's going. He's the he's the man. He's the right man to go in there and be like, okay, let's you know build the team around him and, 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 and push on and develop the car throughout not just one season but two, three, four seasons. So I definitely think we will see progress from the Renault throughout the season. I think Hulkenberg is the man to 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 drive that team forward. Um and I'm not I'm not worried for, for them. I think they will progress. I'm not worried for him. I'm not worried for Nico. I am a little bit worried for Julian Palmer if he's consistently hmm. Outscored by Nico. If he's just, if he's three seconds slow, and then, then back for the rest of yeah. the season, he's in he's in real trouble. I, I don't I don't see it. Jolien did enough last season to show that he is entirely capable with a Formula One car. It is, what? I think, a little bit make or break from to show that he's a little bit better than capable. I th- yeah, exactly, and that's the problem because I think Nico's above above average. Mm-hmm. And if Julian is only average, he's only shown anything that's average to me yes. at this stage, whereas his teammate is above average. So you and if you can't compete with your teammate, then you know it's, it's real numero uno in it. So what doesn't help is we're on week one, and his attitude was all over the place this weekend, mm. criticizing the team after practice and things like that, and qualifying like it's week one. It's race one, you know. Fair enough, Fernando. And you've, and you've got a, a, a more experienced teammate being paid a large amount of money, more probably than he is. Like, it's probably not best to try and put yourself on the bad side of yeah. Who have shown themselves to be pretty ruthless in getting the team the way that they want it. Alonso's bitching about the McLaren because he's had three years of misery. Like Palmer's. Palmer's yeah. one season into Formula One. Yeah, <laughs> give it a chance. A little bit, you know. That's what, and I think he backed down after his initial outburst. He came out and said, "Yeah, you know, I was obviously hot-headed, disappointed, didn't mean anything by it, all that kind of thing." And that's fine. But um, I, I just kind of went away from the weekend of thinking, "Let you drive into the talking, Julian," you know. You didn't have the best weekends here. You were in the wall in practice or whatever. You, you know, the car wasn't right. Fair enough. It happens to them all. It happens to every single driver on the grid. Soak it up and get to China and get the car. Get the car's going to be back in one piece for China. Get out there in China and just nail it. You know, and then and then that'll do the talking for you. You don't need to do. You know, you don't need to say things in an interview. If you turn up in China and score a point, you know. In a car yes. that's probably justifiably not worthy of even one point, you know, you could, you know, then that would be we'd we'd be sitting here in a week's time going, no, oh, Julian Palmer had a really good race. He took that Renault into a points finish. Yeah. We wouldn't we wouldn't even be discussing 
if he hadn't, we wouldn't even be discussing him. You know, the, tonight we'd just be saying, "Oh, Palmer, or oh, yeah, technical trouble for Palmer. Shame he didn't finish. Let's see what he can do in China and move on." Because he's letting his, you know, his the stuff he says in his interviews and that that's become the talking point. Yes, and he I think does. That's, he that's doesn't very need good that point. pressure on him already first day in the season when you know. He's, he's going to be under pressure from Nico Hulkenberg anyway. He's brought even more on himself, and that's the problem. He didn't yeah, need you, to do you, that. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to be seen as the guy that's making excuses before exactly. the rest of the season, is it? And that's just like, it's, it's just, just not, it's not it, good. He added pressure to himself, and that was poor PR on his own behalf. But hopefully he learns from it. And like I say, if he just turns up in China and nails it, then, all, then we'll have nothing but praise to say for him. So he's he just got to let it do He's talking on the track. And if it doesn't do the talking on the track, then he might find himself a, a drive. And unfortunately, that's Formula One. You know, if you don't do your talking on the track, you, you run the risk of being cut at the end of the day. Uh, somebody who probably didn't expect to be in Formula One um, was the <laughs> gentleman who finished in 12th place, Antonio Giovinazzi. Uh, possibly one of the stranger debuts for a Formula One driver to be sort of told... Oh yeah, by the way, fancy, you know, fancy driving driving the car in the Grand Prix. Um <laughs> he, he said that when he got the call he thought it was somebody playing a practical joke on him. Um <laughs> That's sweet. And I'm kind of not surprised really. It's not I, I can't imagine that he he assumed that um, you know, uh Verlon wasn't going to drive the car having done all of it. Um that in itself has has led to some what should we say some interesting points of view. Uh, regarding Pascal Wehrlein, a lot of people criticising him. Um, some ex-drivers saying, you know, well, back in my day, I know, I used to flip uh... the car 16 times, break both my legs and my head would fly off and I'd still get back in the car and drive it around for qualifying in the race. And it's just kind of like, well, you know, good for you. You don't know what his back is like. Testing is testing. It is very different than racing full out for an you know an entire race distance, especially in these cars pulling what like it's like stupid G, wasn't it? Like seven G or something ridiculous. They were. That's it. The new the new aeros. If you've got, if you've got a back problem, probably the one thing you don't want is seven times the weight of gravity pushing you into the back of a seat um, as you're don't flying down it. a straight or anything. <laughs> you know, over the course of a race, that's probably going to to knock you out. I applaud the fact that he was, you know, he seemed sensible enough to say, I'm not in the right place to do this. I'm only going to make it worse. I'm not going to heal up. Um, it's better that I don't do this race. And, well, you know, if if he was pushed that way because of the team, the team wanted to put Giovinazzi in, then more shame on the team because that means they're taking advantage of a, of a young driver who's shown plenty of promise. Um, and they've, you know... Uh, well, they've done a Sauber, haven't they? Let's try and get as many drivers in the car as possible. Uh, <laughs> I, is actually, I actually missed, I hadn't thought of that. Like, we made a comment last week about the hell. Yeah, see, three drivers for two seats. <laughs> yeah, they have. They've done a peak Sauber. We literally said, oh, they've only got two drivers this season. And lo and behold, they turned up in Australia with a third. Like, fantastic. Pure brilliant. Um, yeah, Giovinazzi drove a cracking race and, and did really well in quote. Really well in qualifying and just, you know, did himself no harm for, you know, going down the line. You know, you, you, we were, you know you're talking about the lights of your, um, you know, your signs and, and people like that moving up to top teams. Well, that leaves holes for people like Giovinazzi yep. to 
to move into in a lower, you know, a lower team. If you know, um, he's obviously not going to go to Red Bull because he's a, a Ferrari youngster. But that certainly, you know, there's a Haas drive possibly out there. If you know, if yeah. Magnussen doesn't, you know, stick it, stick with the team, then I bet you Giovinazzi in the Haas in a season or two is not that unlikely. Definitely um, not. I mean, if Esteban Gutierrez can get a seat in that car, then Giovinazzi well, certainly can. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I was. Um, it's funny, really, because I was never particularly fussed on him on GP two. I didn't think he was particularly. Spe- I mean, he was good, um, but uh, you know, I'd seen him drive against some of the the other GP two champions, you know, and I just kind of thought, well, you know, he's got some speed in him, in, in him certainly, but I just wonder if he's, you know, if he's good enough for Formula One. And well, he's absolutely coming and sort of proving me wrong. Um, but then I, I thought the same thing about Nazar, and obviously Nazar's gone now. So, uh, oh yeah, I'd forgotten about Nazar. Yeah, <laughs> Fred. I feel it's just going to show all the drivers. Even... I feel most sorry for. He was better than Ericsson most of last season uh, and got the boot. Probably I didn't even... he was better than Ericsson most of, most of last season, and Ericsson now owns the team. I didn't even notice that he wasn't here, which is probably sad indictment on not necessarily Nazar, but the Cyber team. But you for, I, you I, forget, I, don't you, that because Manor aren't there, there's two less drives. Yeah, so, yeah. And both of their drivers got drives, so that means there must be two people on the grid who <laughs> didn't, who, who aren't up, driving yeah. this year than they didn't last year. One of them was Gutierrez, which is not surprising. But uh, you know, I think Nazar is has a right to feel a little hard done by by his. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if if the cyber politics hadn't worked out the way that they had, you have to assume that that Fred would have probably kept the drive and, and Ericsson would have gone and and that would have been that as it is. Marcus is he's the man there, isn't he? He's the man about the building the future, right? So Yeah. The future's bright. The future's Swedish. Uh <laughs> uh the last of the finishes uh was Stoffel Van Dorn in the McLaren. Um two laps down with Giovinazzi. Uh limited running uh first race in these cars um and what it kind of made me think was that these cars must be on a bit of a setup knife edge uh, i think you know it's um uh if you've ever played any of the formula one racing games the bat racer game where they you have to you know you, you set up the car beforehand and you've got to do like test runs and try different settings and then see how well they do and then you adjust something and then you see whether that makes it better or worse misses. and i think it feels a bit like that that you can get your car somewhere good, but there's a lot to tweak to get it like right on the money. Yep. And if you're not used to to doing that, then you're at a natural disadvantage to other people who can dial in the car faster. You know, and and you can swap settings and all those bits and pieces, but they won't always. You know, swapping a setting won't always work for a driver. It depends on you know how they're driving bits and pieces. And we know that Van Dorn went into the McLaren last season. Uh, and scored a point. So it's not like he can't drive a car, you know, to where it needs to be. Um, so I kind of feel that, you know, along with probably turning down everything and, and all those bits and pieces to make sure it probably finished, um, Van Dorn was behind the eight ball like a lot of the youngsters were who didn't get good track track time in setting up the car. Uh, and that's kind of extended the gap between them and their experienced teammates more than you might have seen in a previous season where the yep. drivers were all driving slightly within themselves. So, you know, the the pace was probably uh, relatively closer on that because 
nobody could push those extra few tents uh, because as soon as you did that, the tires exploded and you flew off into the wall. I, I like that they're a little bit trickier to set. Mm. That's, oh, that's don't get me wrong, be. it's not a complaint. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I didn't think why. it was. Yeah, I didn't think it was. <laughs> I'm just making the point that this is good. Yes, <laughs> it I'm, be I'm well behind it. I, it I'd should like be to hard s- to set an F1 car up. You know, I'd like to see that if you made a mistake in in free practice, um, it affects your race. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You, you should. It should be that way, or it should be that if you're, you know, as a driver, not somebody who can read their car very well, then you're going to suffer from it because you can't, you know, yep. bolt on somebody else's settings. I think that's good. It it means that the drivers have to be better about giving feedback and be. Exactly. Better and more intelligent about feeling how their car is and how that, and understanding that, how setup goes. That should all come into being an F1 driver, and that should all yes. go to be making a world champion instead of just being able to turn up and drive the car and without having to think, you know. So yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely good to see, and it'll it'll create for more interesting races as well because you'll have you know. I'll certainly create for an interesting qualifying because there'll be guys who haven't quite got their setup perfect by the time quality comes around. So you might get a you know a bit of more of a chopped up grid that then creates more interesting races because people are slightly out of position and things like that. So yeah, it's it's how it should be. You know, it, it did it did get the feeling over the last couple of years that it was a wee bit too easy to just turn up, do a free practice. Within 20 minutes on the track, your car's perfectly set up and we can just go home and that's that, you know. It was getting a bit like that. So hopefully these uh, these changes is, that should should certainly, I think, the difficulties they may have in practice will filter through and, and, and make it a bit more interesting come race. Let's talk about our DNFs then. Uh, Grosjean first out with engine failure. Yeah, poor Roman, eh? If he had no luck, as the saying yes. goes. Um, up there at the start and then out very soon. Um, Palmer next. Um, presumably just, you know, continuance of having... Well, he had that brake problem. Exploding. Uh, oh, yeah, that was it. That was really odd, wasn't it? Into one turn, my brakes lock on, and then they don't. And then they do. And he persevered for about five laps and then and then just sacked it and came in. And, and that... You know, that was all interrelated and in how he was having a while persevere. And he's like, oh, it's done it. You know, he kept going, oh, it's done it again. It's done it again. You know, he kept kicking off. Not kicking off, that's the wrong phrase. But you know what I mean? It was kind of like very well, ex- exclaimed, you know. <laughs> I don't blame him as well. If he's trying to follow one car, the brakes start messing around. Like that's uh, that's certainly not a path you want to go down. But it all, it all just boiled up into one big ball of, Miserable Julian this weekend. Basically, it did, it was the worst type of sort of problem for him to have because if his engine blew, he probably could have just got out of the car and had a long walk back and calmed down. But he had this weird, really irritating intermittent problem where one second it was fine and the next second it wasn't, and then it was fine and it wasn't, and it was obviously just doing his head in, and he ended up, you know, as we've already discussed, having a little bit of a. Temper tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Can't... slightly fairly at least that time. Um, yeah, yeah. So poor Julian, another one who these guys, Julian and Grosjean, and other, there's others that like Massa used to be when he drove them the Ferrari. It's amazing how bad luck seems to 
create more bad luck. You just yeah. never seem to get any momentum going, you know. Palmer's another one. He needs to get a run going. Grosjean and Palmer, they need to get something going where they just get finishes and finishes. And then if, even if they finish the race, then points will follow in time naturally. Like, just get the car to the end. A bit like Fiat last year and when he went back to Toro Rosso and he just couldn't seem to get the car to just to the end of the line. Like, get it to the end of the race, first and foremost, and then we'll see what happens. So, hey you Ericsson, he's the next one down on my list I see here. What happened to yes. him? Yes, uh, he got a shunt from Kevin Magnussen. Um, First corner, is it? Yeah, or t- and I wanted to talk about that because obviously the interesting thing about that was that that seemed to fall into the new directive for uh, allowing racing to yeah. to go on and the, the stewards not be inter- interfering every bits and pieces. Now, A, you might say it's a kind of first cornery type incident, so the stewards probably shouldn't, you know, get too involved with it anyway that's the sort of thing that happens on the first lap um but i think obviously it felt like that in previous years they probably would have had a look at that um i think looking at it magnuson is unlucky because he hits the inside curb a bit harder than he needs to he's driving into a space which is there and i think if he doesn't hit the curb then he retains control of the car and they go into the next corner very close. But then, you you know, they can work it out from there. You know, Magnussen either backs off or goes deep into the corner or we see what, what you know, what's going to happen. You know, um, Ericsson has, has locked up his brakes at this point and is going deep into the inside corner. So uh, inside of the first corner. So that's, you know, that's how it is. But Magnussen hits the inside of the corner. He's steering right, but the car is going straight on. And so it just... You know, smacks into the side of um, uh, of Ericsson car, Ericsson's, uh, or into the back, really more of Ericsson's car. Um, spins around, puts them both in the gravel. Amazingly, both of them got going again. Um, especially Ericsson, considering he was actually stopped in the gravel. Um, whether those big tires help a little bit with a you know a little bit more contact patch in the gravel, so that it doesn't uh, bog in and, and beat itself down too much, maybe, or or I don't know whether he might have gotten a push from a marshal. Um, but they both got going again. But I think Ericsson suffered more out of that than than Magnussen did, at least initially, and so had to retire. Um, but I have to say, if that's the kind of incident that's going to get a pass, I'm kind of okay with it. Mm-hmm. If yeah, you look too. at what, if you look at Magnussen's steering during the incident, it's not like he goes, "Ah, sort of, I'm driving into this wedge, and let's see what happens." You know, he doesn't point straight into the inside of the corner car going forward and go, right, let's see who, you know, blinks first. He, he drives to go into the space that's opened up on the inside of the corner because uh, Ericsson has gone deep and he knows that nobody else is going to be coming underneath him because they're all now having to desperately break to um, make the corner themselves. Uh, you know, and he's and he's unlucky. There's, there's clearly no uh, intent from the driver to get anywhere near the collision. Um, and I think if that that's kind of the rationale that they use, I'm okay with that. You know, it's it's a shame for Ericsson, but um, you know, a bit like um, Alonso and Massa in in the end of the other season. You know, I was happier to see a little bit of elbows coming out, even if maybe sometimes that meant the odd person getting a, a bit of a pooey end of the stick. Um, not too badly, and I don't want to see them out of the race particularly or anything like that, but I think sometimes if you're going to encourage people to go for uh, for overtaking, and certainly this is an like we need to encourage them to go for overtaking, then 
let's not be penalising them when there's a little bit of argy-bargy going on or people make moves that are going to result in a little bit of tyre rubbing or a bump here and there or, or things like that or things where, un, you know, an error uh, or something out of their control forces, you know, makes them end up hitting somebody else. No, I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much 100% with what you said there. I think if it was last season, Kev probably would have been punished. Um, probably a, a, a drive-through or a, I don't know. It'll be the five second. A five second. What was the, I was going to say? What was the penalty they, they brought in last year? The five second. Deal the five with. second. You must stop and not do anything for five seconds. Yeah. So that. Who was it last season who stopped for about eight seconds? I can't remember who it was. Somebody <laughs> got a five second penalty and they stopped for for about seven seconds afterwards. And like the commentators were going, "Uh, you can go now, guys. It's only five seconds." <laughs> can't remember who that was, but I remember. No. It. Yeah. Now I'm with you. I, I want to encourage this type of over. I think. Uh, Max, uh, sorry, um, Marcus. Yeah, he's probably come off. He's come off worse there. It's not ideal, but you know, we want to encourage it. I don't. I'm, I've always been a don't a, a more lenient when it comes to punishments. I, I don't want to see a lot of punishments for this kind of thing. So I'm I'm quite happy with the new directive, and hopefully over time, you know, you might get the odd. Like you say, you might get the odd one that goes against you, but you might get the odd one that goes for you. And, and as cliched as it is, hopefully the, <laughs> these things will even themselves out. So take a shot. <laughs> yep. Take a drink for the cliche. So, yeah, I, I, I prefer this to what we previously had. And, and this time it didn't quite work out for Marcus Ericsson. Kev was a little bit hot, like you say, comes off the curb. It's, but, it's un- it felt unfortunate. It's, it's, it didn't feel racist. malicious. Yeah. It's yeah. motor racing. It's hundred mi- cars going at two hundred miles an hour. You know, sometimes these things happen, and I don't. I didn't like the punish every little bit of contact culture that we developed over the last couple of seasons. So I would prefer this. Yep. As lesser uh, of two evils. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ricardo out next. Uh, obviously, um, gearbox failure um, on the way to the grid, um, starting from the pit lane. Went out, went a bit fast, and then obviously everything kind of gave up the ghost. Just uh, just one of those weekends for Daniel, who doesn't ever seem to get the rub of the green at his home race. You know, all I thought of when he had his troubles all weekend was Rubens Barrichello and Interlagos. Yes. You know, at his home Grand Prix, it just never worked out for him. Danny's getting a bit of that at Melbourne. So, Touchwood, Touchwood next season, he can... <laughs> you can have a bit of luck because it just he never got any this weekend. It was you know it was all over the place from from start to finish. So uh, we talked to him about him earlier, but uh, Lance Stroll um, he crashed, didn't he? He crashed. He didn't stop. Did he go off and beat himself or something? I can't. I can't, really can't I remember. Can't, I can't remember to be honest. It was. I, I watched. I got up early. You know, I was. Uh, I was, I was I was up early. I was tired, so I can't, I can't remember. No, um, uh, lap forty-four after a big off. That's all I've got. So he went off, I think, rather than breaking down, which seems to be is that harsh? Stroll's, to uh, you know, sort of raison d'être at the moment, really. I was going to say, would it be too harsh to say? Not surprised he went off. No, I don't <laughs> think so. It does rather feel that that um, you know seems to be fairly inevitable. 
so far it's one race in you know in the the same way that you you shouldn't be on Julian Palmer's back I don't think we should be on Lance Stroll's back who's you know incredibly inexperienced um and is coming into Formula One at a difficult time for a rookie I think um yeah, I would agree with that he's coming into he he is a very lucky boy in that he is driving the fourth best car on the grid it would seem you know with the best engine in it uh you know, in a team that's set up for, um, if not race-winning success, you know, it is set up to uh, to allow a driver to do well. Um, and he needs to make the most of that whilst it's still there because I don't think Formula One will forgive him uh, and the fans certainly won't forgive him if it feels like he turns up every race, uh, does a third of it and then uh, bins it. And he goes, well, you know, I'm still young and I'm still learning and blah, blah, blah. And people, you know, people won't put up with that kind of uh, stuff in Formula One for very long. It isn't a junior formula. It's, it's the one of the pinnacles of motorsport these days, you, you know. Um, and I say that was one of the pinnacles because I think there are now other categories rather than saying that Formula One has just become <laughs> the pinnacle of motorsport rather than it's been joined by um, other things um, as that sort of thing. So I, I, I feel... Stroll has a very, very difficult season ahead of him that he has to maximise. Otherwise, fairly or unfairly, he will be looked on as a real flop, I think, and a real yeah. waste of a drive. Well, can't argue. No. Uh, Magnussen had a very scrappy weekend all the way around. Sometimes looked on the pace, uh, but but beached it a couple of times. Um Interestingly, if I look at the uh, Planet F1 race results, he's down as a Renault still. So uh, I noticed that as well. <laughs> just thinking, yeah, he doesn't drive for a Renault, does he? Um, but that's two engine failures for Haas. Uh, yeah, but that's a little bit concerning. Yeah. Given, given, that given they're the, both in the new Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, um, given the brand of, of engine in the back of that car. A little bit concerning, I must be admit, it must be said, but I mean, you could say that Magnussen might have damaged his engine in his collision with Ericsson, although it was rather front-on for him in that one. Um, but Grosjean certainly didn't seem to have anything at all until his his let go fairly spectacularly. So that's a, you know, if I was Ferrari, I'd be wanting to dissect those engines to within an inch of their life to try and work out why they both failed. And I'm hoping it was a Haas problem rather than a Ferrari problem, like the way I mean, they're packaging a... them or something like that. Given that it's the two Haas cars, would lend itself to that school of thought. Hopefully. I think there is. I think there is greater configuration in the current engines than there has been over the last few seasons. I think it's perfectly possible that you will see certain cars with the same engines um, behave differently. You know, yeah. uh, depending on how how they've been mounted and packaged and all those other bits and pieces uh, in the car. So, um, not you know, I, I think I'd still be worried if I was a Ferrari, but um, yeah, if, that, they, that they've been fairly bulletproof. Um, you know this 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 weekend, fingers crossed for them. Um, and obviously, our last DNF was um, poor Fernando Alonso, who um, bravely stuck it out until six laps to the end. Um, <laughs> until his uh, of all the things, a suspension failure. Do you know what I mean? So all the engine yeah, worries exactly. and bits and pieces. The reason that he goes out was because his uh, <laughs> one of his wheels isn't touching the ground properly. Um, Another great drive, man. Another but, great drive. By you know, Fernando. he was in the points for 90% of the race um, and keeping cars behind him 
I think, again, as we have said a million times on there, just goes to show you the mark of the man that he can take a car and flog it within an inch of its life and make life difficult for drivers who are in superior machinery but don't have the uh, the toolkit to uh, get past somebody as stubborn as uh, Fernando. Um, the, the worrying thing is the quotes afterwards from both McLaren drivers saying that they think that the relatively okay you know placing in quality in the and what would have been the race probably um is unlikely to continue at future races they think that that albert park might be a bit of an anomaly because it's not a speed circuit you know it's a tight twisty street circuit um and that they will be last or second to last um along the others I, i saw a tweet somewhere saying that they that simulations have been saying that the mclaren will run out of deployment uh, three seconds down the straight in China, which, if true, um, is a horrendous indictment on Honda. Nothing to do with McLaren, but it. But after the last two seasons and knowing that deployment was an issue, that they haven't sorted out the turbo and all of those, um, those those aspects of the car that they're you know they're still running high on fuel and uh, all those bits and pieces is um, a real real. Uh, indictment against Honda's way of working and what they've been doing with that engine. They should have the basics of that car sorted now. I can live with it being fragile if um, we're talking about the the nth of performance. You know, if they say well, we tried to put something on to make it faster and it's not worked, that's one thing. To say we're still sp- spending far too much fuel to get the turbo to work properly and we still can't store enough energy to make our deployment uh, last the length of a Formula One straight after three years is pretty pathetic. Uh, and I've been a big defender of Honda. I've tried to give them the benefit, the fact that they're three to five years behind the other teams development-wise of these engines. But I feel that some of the bits that are continually failing feel like they are basic. It yep. is basic functionality. It is not working. You know, I can hear it. I can hear it in your... In your voice, you're becoming more and more frustrated and, and less but and I, less patient. So I still feel there's no other option for them. I still think it's they don't want to go back to being a Mercedes customer. It's not helped any Mercedes customer win a world title. Um, they're never going to get a Ferrari engine. <laughs> you know, imagine the scenes if I know, I Karen became a Ferrari customer. They're just what. The dogs and cats living together, uh, the end of the world as we know <laughs> it. Um, Renault might be an option, possibly, but I can't see it happening. So where have they got to go? Unless Audi decided decided that they wanted to come into the sport, you know. Yeah, but then they're going to go back to someone who's just turned up on day one, and they're going to yeah, exactly another three to five years before they get anywhere. So I bet you Audi would want to run a team. I bet you they'd want a works team first, and then McLaren would have to be a customer team again. Yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that a brand as big as uh, Volkswagen uh, under the Audi racing brand would not want their car to be Audi first. Um, you know, they won't want it to be McLaren Mercedes. We mentioned it last week, Audi but McLaren. we mentioned it last week. But they're, you know, tough times ahead for McLaren. I don't really don't know what what the future holds <laughs> i mean there's there's the problem is, is there's nothing for the team to do there's nothing for mclaren the racing team to do they can only keep on building 
aero parts and making the car. But the car looked entirely drivable. You know, with a crap engine, Fernando Alonso was still able to keep other cars behind him and, and drive the wheels off it. I don't think the core of the car is particularly bad. But it just doesn't have enough power and it can't keep the power going on long enough. Yep, no, I can't argue. And you it know, was the same last year. You know, it was the exact same last year. So Yeah. Except at, least, fast- except at least last year, it seemed that they made it at least a little bit more reliable. You know, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't breaking down anywhere near as uh, it didn't seem as fragile as it does this year. The first year was awful; it was breaking down every five minutes. They went through. Well, I was expecting, but, but it's you know, I, I, I kind of just feel like I can hear the, the improvement. Yeah, where yeah. is the improvement? You know, it's one thing to say, okay, first year is a write off; it was going to be terrible. Second year was an improvement on the first year, um, but really wasn't kind of good enough. Um, but you could kind of live with it and say, okay, it's difficult, tricky engines, freeze on the engine, you know, there's only so much they can develop. They've got no engine freeze. They've had all the time that they need to to try different things, simulate it and do all the bits and pieces to turn up at winter testing with something that they should have been able to have said could do the distances that it required at at least reasonable pace to some of the other engine manufacturers you know they should be at least as good as renault and if they aren't as good as renault then i don't know i don't know what they're doing you know the more the more we discuss it and the more you say these things and i actually visage in my head like the factory and the testing and the design and what they're actually doing and the more i think about it the more i'm just like yeah yeah you're you're right what what are they doing what what, why have they not got this yet (laughs) like the more i sit and think it the more i think They've had three years, and I know they're still behind in terms of time of what Merck and Renner had. But again, they, they should be somewhere further along the line than where they are now. So what, like, like from a literal point of view, what are they actually doing in the factory? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, yeah. literally, what are you doing, guys? What? Why is it still like this? Like, uh, it's I, I don't know, I don't know, man. I feel. I feel your pain, but more so I feel Fernando Alonso's pain because he's he's arguably possibly my favourite driver of all time, maybe, depending on what mood I'm in. <laughs> and I want to see him in a, a good car, man. I just want to see him be able to... If Fernando Alonso ends up retiring from the sport with only two world titles in the Renault, having spent a combined decade in Ferrari and McLaren. <laughs> that's that's what it'll look like, isn't it? It's the Ugo Mad. in, in the, the spottiest team in um, Formula One Renault. Do you know what I mean? You talk about yeah. a team of sometimes there and sometimes not. To have gone to both Ferrari and McLaren, the two most well-represented teams you know, across F1 history, probably, um, with the exception possibly of adding Williams in there, and to have not won anything would just be like it's, it's you biggest, got the honestly <laughs> you got kicked right in the nuts there didn't you, Do you know he retires mean? with only those two world titles not one agree for five years or however long it is it's just insane it's just you couldn't have wrote it it's unbelievable so more than anything i want fernando alonso to have a race winning car so for that reason i want the mclaren to come good <laughs> well i think that takes us to the end of the race um Overall, out of ten, what what you rating that? If excluding as a Ferrari fan, try and take that out of the way. Um, yeah, you know, no, we, we, we can take fair. the non Mercedes win as red, uh, but as I a race, it. 
I enjoyed it, but then I've already said that the fact that there was a lot of strategy playing influences isn't something that necessarily upsets me, whilst I can accept that that is not for everybody. Uh, it's not, I, I found her enough to be sort of interested. Uh, yes, I would give it a, a solid 8 out of 10 for me. I would have probably given it like a, a 7 out of 10 immediately following the race. Uh, but after half a day of, of sitting there and looking at it, I was just like, actually, this race was a bit meh. I like the result, you know, and I, and I like the bits where we were waiting to see whether the pit stop played out. Because mm-hmm. like you, I'm, I'm not adverse to seeing strategy play its part. Um, but I just realised that, you know, for all the two seconds, three seconds faster and all those bits and pieces, um, it just wasn't any more interesting than a race from last season. If anything, overall, it was probably more dull than a race last season. I'm not going to judge the season by it, but overall, I kind of feel that, you know, this was like a 5.5. Really? As low as that? I just... Fair enough. I was so hyped by the win that I didn't really analyse what I'd sat through. Um, The only other positive you can take from it is that it was the shortest uh, Australian Grand Prix that there's ever been because the cast was so much faster. You know, they do the same, they do the same distance. They just did it quicker. Um, yep. so, so that boring middle stint where nothing happened, um, which yeah, can, it has been in the last few years. I, I can absolutely agree that with what, like I can see your theory and I can agree with your logic. I, I, I'm blinkered by the fact that I'm happy with the result and I'll, I'll and, and as much as we could say, I'll take that out of it and you know judge it, whatever it, it's difficult because it's, it's, it's hard to do that when you're obviously so happy with the result but yeah I can I can I can fully accept that you know there wasn't necessarily an awful lot going on you had once 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 Vettel had managed to you know pull clear of Lewis you had pretty you know the first top the top six were pretty set in stone for 20 30 laps however many however long it might have been so I could I could I could see the argument as sound there for saying oh you know there wasn't a lot going on fully fully accept that but for me personally I was just you know I judge it on how it felt at the time and it, and I enjoyed it and it kept me interested and you know I was happy to watch for the full fifty seven laps so cool fair enough well. I think that rounds up Australia for us. Uh, Next race is China, uh, um, a track that we'd probably consider a more uh, typical race circuit. I think that's a kind of a fair comment from it, you know, big straights and tricky corners and all those bits and pieces. So we'll probably get a better sense of what Formula One is likely to hold for us uh, from there, I think, rather than um, Albert Park. Uh, So it'd be interesting to see that. And we hope that... uh, you all out there in uh, podcast podcast listening land, um, keep on listening to the Last Lap Podcast. There's a lot of L's in that. I should have probably thought about that sentence before I started trying to say it. Um, but we hope that you will, having listened to this podcast, join us after China. Um, if you're unaware and you've just caught us uh, on a random tweet or a, a link from somewhere, you can find us at our home on the web at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. All the podcasts are available to uh, download and listen to from iTunes, uh, TuneIn, or uh, Stitcher. Um, so you can get your fill of us uh, as soon as we release a podcast. Um, 
we are on Facebook. Uh, and obviously our main port of call where we're, we're generally interacting with our, our fans the most is on Twitter. So make sure that you are following at Last Lap Podcast on Twitter and make sure you tweet us your views of the race, uh, tweet us your thoughts on the podcast once you've had a listen. Uh, and we'll make sure that we try and shout you out in any episodes uh, that we, you know, uh, mention your comments and stuff. We'll, we'll give you a, you guys a shout out and a, and a mention on Twitter afterwards once the episode has been released. So get in touch, interact with us and uh, hopefully... Uh, after China, we can have a good chinwag about all the good things in Formula One. Uh, so, from myself and from Sean, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye bye. Say bye, Sean. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>